Welcome to Tzarech Iyan, a podcast from Yeshivat Oraita. Listen in as two Rebbeim reflect with one another on current events and unpack central Hashkafic questions that affect how they view the world. A forum for divergent perspectives informed by both study and lived experience, these conversations will illuminate a handful of the Shivim Panim Torah and scratch the surface of ideas which may in fact require further exploration. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tzarech Iyam podcast. I am Rav Adi Krohn, here with Rav Noam Himmelstein. Hi everybody, Shalom Aleichem, lovely and excited to be with you. This is an exciting uh, podcast. Today we're going to try to tackle a uh, daunting topic, the topic of religion and state in Medinat Yisrael. Should we have a separation of powers? If we don't have a separation of powers, what type of state are we looking for? What's the current reality? What's our vision for the future? Certainly uh, not a light topic, but we're going to try to have a nice conversation and talk about uh, some of the history and uh, where we are and where we think we are going or where we should be going. So Rav Noah, maybe just start this off and tell us a little bit about uh, some of the background. Like what's, the, what's the reality here in Israel, maybe historically and currently, of religion and state? Thank you, Ravadi. I think you can trace the status quo. In Israel, people like to speak about the status quo. In Hebrew, status quo to a letter that Ben-Gurion sent in 1947 to the Aguda, in which he discussed certain areas, such as issues of marriage and divorce, and issues of kashrut, and issues of Shabbat, etc. The status quo pretty much established then, again, even though it was pre-state, seemed to indicate that many areas of in the public sphere would be dominated or run by religious law. And that's uh, pretty much the way it's always been. Today, those areas are coming into the fore. Uh, Many people get upset on both sides of the spectrum. The secular view the religious as uh, coercive. Uh, The religious see the non-religious as not Jewish enough. And that is causing attention to this day. It began in 47 with the state of Israel just before it was created. And up and down over the years, it's uh, been coming to the fore again and again in certainly recent politics. Okay, so that's a great background and sort of a good sense of what of where we're at. So, I think what sort of one of the questions I think about is, um, and I think a lot of people wonder about is, what do you think about Israel being a Jewish state and a democratic state? Meaning, there are a lot of people in Israel who don't want to run the country based on Jewish law, even the parts that already are. Meaning, we're not asking everyone to uh, to keep Shabbat in their homes. That we're far, that far, we're not going, uh, at least not yet. Um, but you know, there's a democracy here, and people uh, would want to vote that out. What do you think about that? Like, what do you think about that possibility of, let's say, people just suggesting that we shouldn't really have, you know, the halacha run, run our lives here in Israel? Well, Ravadi, you've introduced another important word here, and that's democracy. The Declaration of Independence, written under the inspiration of Davim ben Gurion, does not have the word democracy in it. It actually was in it. The night before the declaration, he crossed out the word democratic. And the Declaration of Independence states that the state of Israel will be run on principles of justice and equality, etc., through the vision of the prophets of Israel. And then it goes on, actually, to clearly mark out democratic principles, such as all citizens will be equal, no matter sex or religion, or who they are, what they believe in, everybody will have the same civil liberties, etc. So the Declaration of Independence does absolutely demonstrate that people should be equal in the law, but the word democratic is not mentioned. Today, people really think and argue about is 
Israel a democratic state, a Jewish state, a Jewish state which is democratic, a democratic state which happens to be Jewish, and which of these takes priority? And then that will also carry over to the question of halacha. To what extent should halacha rule the country? In one sense, do I mean that? We have to remember that dem democracy fully means not necessarily the rule of the majority. If the rule of majority is the only thing democracy means, then any majority can pass any law that they want, be it fair or not fair, equal or not equal. Democracy means that we will look out also for those who don't agree with us and think otherwise. So although it is a democratic state, let's say, based upon the principles as the Declaration of Independence states, the principles of the prophets of Israel, suppose the Haredi parties take over, would we absolutely coerce everybody to live a life of halacha? Would everything, I mentioned earlier, the public sphere, would we uh, say that a person has to go to tefillah chacharit and put on tefillin every day? I think most of us don't think that that is a very viable way of living. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, it's interesting because I think, you know, most people would agree that, like you were saying, you know, Israel isn't declared to be a, a, a democratic state. It's a Jewish state. And there are certain fundamental principles. Israel also doesn't have a constitution officially, although there are the basic laws, which is, I guess, like a quasi-constitution. Um, and we want Israel to to continue to have um, a feel of a Jewish state. I mean, we don't want, I think we, we like the idea, for example, that, you know, uh, when the buses drive around on Hanukkah, it says Hanukkah Sameach, which is sort of like, in some sense, like maybe like a silly thing, but it's really not so silly because it means that the fundamental holidays of the state, the official national holidays, are the Jewish holidays, right? The idea that, you know, nothing, everything shuts down in Yom Kippur, you know, um, everything shuts down in other Chagim, you know, everyone go, you know, going to the Seder, that's everyone's choice. It happens to be that the vast, vast, vast majority of Israelis, you know, fast on Yom Kippur and have a Seder and things like that. And I don't, I don't think anybody wants to give up a Jew, the Jewish nature of the state, it feels to me like the sticking points are what elements of, let's say, halachic, in some sense, coercion, are we willing to impose on the one hand or live with, maybe if we're not, if we're people who don't want to observe those things. You know, so, for example, like one of the big you know, issues is certainly like buses on Shabbat or having malls open on Shabbat, being able to sell, you know, chametz on Pesach. Can you sell pig, you know, pig meat, you know, which is Basar Lavan here. So those are really, you know, interesting questions to me because on the one hand, sort of those are fundamental things that sort of represent Jewishness. On the other hand, you know, I guess I would say that I, I'm not a big fan of coercing people to have to abide by halakha if they don't want to do so. I'm curious what you think about those things. Yeah. Very interesting points, Ravadi. At the end of the day, when the Zionist movement, was which was created by vastly non-religious members of the Jewish people, uh, they had to recreate, if you wish, what does it mean to be Jewish if you're not religious anymore? And there were different streams of thought, and certainly many people, as you indicated yourself, do appreciate having a Jewish character and Jewish nature of the state. As you mentioned, the buses or many people, the vast majority of Israel celebrate uh, Yom Kippur or Pesach, etc. And I don't think the problem is there. I don't think the problem is there. I think the, even the non-religious Zionists in the country do appreciate having a Jewish uh, state or Jewish nature. There are extreme, to be sure, a minority on the left who would not have any Jewish nature of the state. They don't want to have anything to do with anything religious at all. There is a minority like that, but I do agree that the vast majority are not like that. 
But the areas that you just mentioned right now that do appear coercive, it is a problem. That it, it boils down to this today, certainly in Israeli society. As we mentioned earlier, those issues of marriage and divorce. Can I get married outside of the rabbinate? What happens if, I, if a, a, a girl wants to marry a coin and she's divorced? And if you're not religious, you just don't get it. And you can't get married in this country. And many people see that as coercive and divisive and, and opposing upon my values and what I want to do. The reason that these issues are the ones which are, are, are so critical is because these really do ensure the future of the Jewish people. And to be honest, I think from a religious point of view, it's hard to disagree with the importance of these laws, as coercive as they may seem, marriage. It's true that Israel will recognize civil marriages performed in Cyprus. And then they come back to Israel, and Israel recognizes them. The Ministry of Interior will write them down as a married couple, even though they're not married, Kedat Vikadin. In Israel, there is a debate coming up right now, should we allow civil, civil marriage? But I can see that. The people say, if we don't have marriage and divorce under Jewish law, what's going to be in a generation or two? What's going to be with the people when, when my son wants to marry someone else's daughter, and they're not halachically Jewish? Recently, uh, Ben Gvir, I think, believe I, I believe, uh, has may, stated one of his uh, positions, one of his demands to enter the government to not recognize uh, conversions performed in the United States by Reform and uh, conservative rabbinate uh, courts. And I can see why he asked that. I can see why he wants that, because if people are going to make aliyah, they're not going to be religious, they're not, excuse me, they won't be recognized as Jewish. What's going to be with the next generation? All these are issues which I think are, are critical. Each one may be legufo we need to dis- discuss. You mentioned buses on Shabbat. All right, maybe buses on Shabbat. I don't know, that's a hard one for me. I can understand why Chidin uh, would say, I just want to go to the beach. Don't talk, stop me from going to the beach. Issues of marriage and divorce, even of Shabbat, if you wish, in Kashrut, that I do see the importance of having a, a, a law which may not be pleasant to other people. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I just saw, I was looking, um, you know, Rev. Druckmann, who is the, uh, the spiritual head, let's say, of the, uh, the Tzionut Atatit Party, um, was quoted as saying he also wants to impose a lot more halacha, I think, into the, into the, into the country. And, and I think in the areas that you're saying, you know, like buses and things like that. Um, it's interesting. And sort of like his argument, I guess, on one hand, is like, well, we're not going coming into your homes, you know, enforcing you to do anything you don't want to do. It's just these are sort of public policies. But at the same time, I guess, like, probably my hesitation with that is, well, yeah, but if a person wants to be able to, uh, you know, enjoy public transportation on Shabbat and they don't have a car, so then it really does impact their, their life. They aren't able to, to do those things. If they don't observe Shabbat, um, you know, then they want to be able to go to a mall or whatever it might be. And maybe in the you know, examples you're saying also like about conversion or about marriage and divorce, if, I, don't, I don't relate to that. Forgetting about the problems of you know dealing with the Rabbanut Rashid, which you know is uh, is difficult by itself, but that's more of a you know the not so much the technical issue. It's more like the you know the feeling one gets when you know one approaches the Rabbanut and sort of the the uh, the experience one is having uh, having. But let's say a person says it doesn't. I, I don't relate to uh, to Jewish law. You know, uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say you know I want to have the woman says I want to have women women participate in the ceremony or I want to have a double ring ceremony, which is something that we don't uh, we don't do traditionally. So they don't want to have those experiences. So I guess one of the things I wonder about is, you know, even though those fundamental issues, and you're right, like marriage and divorce, these are fundamental things. Who is a Jew? And, you know, the continuity of the Jewish people. On the other hand, I guess one of the things I think that makes me hesitate about those issues is what's our goal? Like, what's, like is the long-term goal having halachic Jews in the state of Israel? Or is the long-term goal 
having Jewish people feel closer to Torah, to God, to Judaism. And maybe this is a, it's a strategic question to some extent, right? Like what's the, like, I mean, sometimes it's a technical question. Well, there's halacha, we need as many people as possible keeping halacha. And maybe there's a different question, which is, well, maybe it's not so much a technical question, it's a strategic question. Maybe we on some level, maybe we do, this is maybe debatable, maybe we'll talk about this. We all agree that we want a lot of people observing halacha, but what's the way to get there? Is it by sort of forcing these big button issues on everybody and then hopefully it trickles down? Or is it maybe are there other strategic ways maybe to try to get more people to embrace you know, you know, Torah? Reverend, I'm not sure I agree with that as a goal. I don't think the goal here, if we're talking about legislation regarding religious issues, I don't think the goal here is to get more people to keep halacha at all. I think we're talking about the character of the Jewish state, not necessarily about certain individuals keeping halacha more or less. I want to point out two things related to what you just mentioned right now. Uh, the Chazonish himself, uh, I believe, was not a big proponent of having a Medinat Halacha because he said, you know, it's, we think of Chazonish as the Haredi leader, right. but he was very, uh, uh, very much of, we can't give Tochacha, we are not, we should not impose things on the secular public that will cause them to uh, despise Judaism. And I don't think that we should just en enforce things that are going to cause uh, non-religious Jews to move away from Judaism, even if we would have a Sanhedrin today, Luyutsuyar would have a Sanhedrin today that, that would be accepted upon anybody, we would not kill anybody who's Mechalal Shabbos. The Sanhedrin can, would kill someone who's Mechalal Shabbos, I mean, even, you know, Achad Shivim Shana, whatever it was, when that person understood and appreciated that what he or she was doing hurt the Jewish people, and if you kill them because Mechalal Shabbos, they understand at least why you're killing them. Today, that's no, there's no point. People don't understand it, Chaval, but they don't appreciate Shabbat. There's no point in enforcing anything over here. If I kill a guy for driving to the beach on Shabbat, <laughs> just go to the beach. What do you want, man? He doesn't get it. So there's no reason. I'm not looking to enforce an, an individual behavior, and I don't think there's any point to that. I don't think that's a goal. Uh, that means the second point uh, that you hinted earlier is that the rabbinate, that's why Tsar was created a while back, because people were fed up with the rabbinate. The rabbinate is not able to relate to the non-religious public and to their needs. You have a non-religious Jew who doesn't know a rabbi from his yeshiva. He wants to get married to the rabbinate because that's the law. He calls up the rabbi of his city. No problem, a thousand shekels. He'll come and pay a thousand shekels without any explanations, and that's turned people away from Judaism, and that's not smart. That's why Torah was created originally to make Judaism more palatable and, and create a way that people will feel less pressured to do things in a particular way and to make it more user-friendly. That, to my mind, is the goal, to keep the state with a Jewish character, which I think even non-religious, many of them we've indicated earlier, do appreciate, but at the same time, not to create chas v'shalom, enmity, and, and discord between sectors of the population, and dissension, and, 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 and people not appreciating, and, and even despising Judaism. Yeah, I hear that. I don't think we totally agree on this issue, which is fine, obviously. I think I feel that it's a little bit of a different goal, like I was saying before. I mean, on the one hand... Maybe I think of it like as a surme rabba seitov. Like on the one hand, you know, create a reality where there's fundamental, let's say, Jewish halachic values. Let's say like marriage and divorce, things like that. You know, Shabbat, whatever that means to have Shabbat, sort of have a spirit of Shabbat in, a, in an environment. Um, those are sort of fundamental Jewish things. And I can appreciate why people want to have, you know, that represent the Jewish nature of the state. Or, or an element of the Jewish nature of the state, because how can you have a Jewish community where there's not, you know, getting the Kiddush and Kahalacha? And that's sort of a fundamental thing. Um, 
But if the goal is only to have those things and not offend those who aren't into it, those who don't relate to the need or the beauty of that uh, system, I think we're missing out on a broader goal here. Meaning, I, I think there's there's a there is a broader goal in my mind to try to bring as many people closer to Torah and Judaism as possible. Now, I don't know if that even means tactical halachic observance, but are there things that we could be doing that maybe without imposing certain halachic requirements that would spread the beauty of Torah, that would also achieve some of the same goals in terms of having a Jewish nature without this imposition that I think is somewhat you know, negative. Look, I, I think an ideal world, of course I agree with you that there's a goal. The world and certainly the Jewish state, that people should be keeping Torah mitzvot. I'm all in favor of that, and I'm not against it. I just don't think it's realistic in that manner. Uh, I think it's more, I think when people appreciate who they are, then they'll come on their own a lot faster. When I was in uh, Beit Marasha, uh, as a program I studied in uh, between um, my years in Gush and then going into the the working world. I studied for several years in a Kolel, Beit Marasha, Roshagah was there at the time. And we ran a program on Fridays in the Beit Sefer Masorati. In Israel, the Beit Sefer Masorati is a conservative school. And our goal, we met uh, with the high school kids. The goal was not to make them from. The goal was them to appreciate what Yiddishkeit is. So we would learn about the Chagim. Not in the sense of you have to do this mitzvah, but what is this Chag about? We learned about family life. What did Judaism have to say about family life? They knew nothing. That's my goal. My goal, first and foremost, is to get people appreciate their Jewish heritage. That's the problem that today, once, once secular Zionism took a leading role in the creation of the Jewish state, as I hinted to earlier, what does, what's left of Jewishness? Jewishness and was halacha for 3,000 years, and now they don't have that. What makes a person Jewish? Halavai that everybody should become uh, uh, from in the sense they love and appreciate Torah and Mitzvot and see the beauty, as you mentioned, of, of, of this particular lifestyle. I, I don't think that's a goal right now. I think the goal is at least people should appreciate Yiddishkeit, appreciate what Jewish family is, appreciate I, Jewish ethics. The way to achieve that is Bidarkei Noam. Not, uh, not, not even again. I'll go back to Chazon. He said the same thing. Not by forcing other people to do it. I don't think that the Haredim throwing stones at uh, Tzomet Barilan is going to keep any chilin change of money and go. Oh, I better keep Shabbat now. That's not the way to do it. And that's obviously an extreme situation. But I, that's why I'm not even sure about to what extent beyond the basics of Gita, Kiddush, etc. Should we have any legislation enforcing religious coercion? We're not going to get there. We're not going to get there. Rav Kook famously said, if the base of Migdash was destroyed with Sinat Chinam, it'll be built Ahavad Chinam by, by, uh, by role modeling and, and, and hearing and accepting uh, other people, even if they're different than us. That's the way you're going to affect the change. I hear you. I think, I think, my, uh, I think my sense is that we agree sort of in the, in the principles. I think, that, I think the strategy may be a uh, disagreement. I, mean, I wonder, I don't know, look, I'm no policy person, right? But I wonder... You know, let's say we allow for civil marriage and made, you know, a Jewish marriage, you know, halachic marriage, an option. It'd be, it'd be very curious. I don't know statistics, you know, if they've polled. I'm sure they've done polls about this. But what would the polling say about people who are what we call chiloni? How many of them would actually want to have a halachic marriage, like a traditional Jewish marriage? My guess would be many more than we think. Could be few. It could be not so many. But I, my guess would be many more than we think. I think there's a value sort of that people come in not feeling that they're forced to do it. That's the, the idea that they're forced to sort of join the rabbinu. And even if it's Sohar, 
it's so are sort of functioning as a subsidiary in some sense of the Rabbanut, right? Still because you have to do it this way, but we'll just be nicer about it. And they are nicer about it, right? But look what you've just <laughs> described, a situation where we're not forcing people to do it. That's exactly what you're describing. And you're saying if we don't force people to do it, we give them the option. You could have a civil marriage. You could marry through a religious ceremony run by the rabbinate or maybe someday any other organization that may or may not be recognized by the Israeli law. So far, only the rabbinate. But, and you're saying, and I agree with you, I think the vast majority would opt for religious ceremony, but again, not because we're forcing them and that we've actually gained something here. Yeah, so, okay, but then maybe we're agreeing about a, a potential change. You know, we're not making policy decisions, but then that would be a sort of an idea to even change the, the position, right? The policy right now is that you have to do it this way. Maybe we wouldn't want to have necessarily the, ob- the, the obligation. Now, I was thinking this isn't exactly the same thing, but it reminds me a little bit of like the women of the wall, like the, the desire for reform or egalitarian, you know, prayer by the Kotel, not exactly at the Kotel itself, but, you know, by the uh, um, Robinson's Arch there. And... You know, sometimes I wonder, like, all this fighting against, you know, this egalitarian, I don't think that's Allah either necessarily, but all the fighting against it, 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 is, it is it doing more to preserve, you know, uh, to Jew, the Jewish nature of the, of the Kotel, or is it doing less, you know, in some sense? Oh, for sure, for sure. That's a classic example where I think a lot of damage is, has been done. And it's still Chaval. It's, the movement of the wall usually go once a month on Rosh Chodesh, that's when they go. And an area has been set aside, as you mentioned right now, and even when they were still trying to do it in the women's section of the Kotel, because, so they brought a Sefer Torah in. So you and I might think, maybe that's not so proper. We can talk about even halachically, if it is or isn't, but Naniach it isn't. What have they done? They haven't forced their opinions on, upon you. They haven't done anything terrible. Lehefech, by fighting against it, and you've seen acts that people have committed, acts of violence, aggressiveness, tearing their sidur and pulling their hair, it's unbelievable. That is a bigger chilol Hashem than anything that, 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 that other thing they would, that they would have done. You're not gaining anything by this thing. I think we can all agree upon that. Yeah. I, th- you know, I think so. I think that's where sort of my, a lot of my concerns about, you know, you mentioned uh, Ben Gavir, you know, so one of the things that's happening now in Israeli politics is that with the, the rise, let's say, of the what's called the Religious Zionist Party that encompasses several different parties, right now apparently they're breaking up, but, you know, the, the news changes day to day. So by the time this podcast is dropped, you know, who knows what will be the reality. But, um, but one of my concerns is that they're pushing for, you know, a, you know, a more Jewish you know, nature to the state. And I think that's, uh, I think Daniel Gordis had a nice article, an interesting article where he, he pointed out that uh, Yair Lapid in his uh, campaigning failed to mention things about the Jewish nature of the state. It was very sort of parv in terms of, you know, democratic values, equality, et cetera, et cetera. But there was nothing distinctly Jewish or Israeli about his policies. And he felt, Gordis did, that this was sort of pushing people towards uh, Smotrich and Bengvir because at least they were talking about this idea of the Jewish state and that being the important part and i think a lot of us relate to that and it's something really powerful about that and we, 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 we agree with those things i think what concerns me is that the manner in which it seems to be done is one which is coercive and not embracing and that's sort of the i think that's the difficulty right because if you throw it all out let's say we, we just you know allow for civil marriage let's say tomorrow i think there's a concern like wow like now we have a jewish state that doesn't even require jewish marriage like what's more jewish than jewish marriage jewish family that's what it's all about I guess personally, I feel like, you know, it'd be worth the experiment to give people the choice. Yeah, I agree, Ravani. Look, it's really, it's really a little push uh, the question. I mean, we mentioned before the possibility you brought up, maybe if we'd offer civil marriage, Dafka, we'd see a lot of people running to have Jewish marriage. 
but your point right now is very valid. So we're Jewish state. We're not mechayev Jewish marriage. How can that be? This is a Jewish state. Zilopashut. I'm not sure, though, regarding your analysis, just as a side, a, a political side a note, I'm not sure if that's what uh, galvanized people to vote for them. I think it was more the uh, aggressive uh, anti-Arab stance. That's a political point, not so much that's the Jewish, the, not not so much the Jewish thing. Uh, I did not hear a single uh, pre-campaign message of the, any of the parties. I missed it in the car when I was driving. I certainly don't have a TV and I didn't watch any of it. But someone told me, interesting chap, why were why was Shas so successful? And he argued that they really didn't play the religious card at all. It was all social. And maybe that's what people were looking for. Lemele, the religious the religious party got in through the back door in that sense. It was all social. And also today, that's certainly a hot hot potato in Israeli society. And the social issues, looking after the poor, etc. We're going to take care of you. Um I'm not so sure if it's the, the religious thing that attracted people, At the to, to be fair. That's a fair point as well. Okay, I want to shift gears a tiny bit here. And um, maybe we'll just sort of speculate about the future or like the, you know, the envisioned future. Like, I'm going to ask it. Like, what do you think, you know, 100 years from now, 300 years from now, you know, or if you want to go back to Tanakh, like, what do you think, you know, we, we have in mind for this, you know, this wonderful, you know, miraculous project of the state of Israel that is, you know, uh, we come back to the land, you know, fulfilling the words of the Nivi'im. What, what is it that we really want to have here? You know, do we want a, a world according to Shulchan Aruch? Is that, is that the state? Is that really the, go- the goal ultimately? Okay, let's say we do all these wonderful programs of, you know, <laughs> embracing everyone and we give everyone options. But is ultimately the goal to have a, a state run by halacha on some level? Or is there some other vision that you sort of, you know, want to speculate about? I'd like to address maybe two issues. One is this sort of government. We uh, pray for Malchut Bey David to be returned uh, to its position. Do we really want a monarchy today? Uh, it, famous people quote the Nitziv in the discussion on the commandment, Parshat Shoftim, Som Tasim Alech HaMelech. Nitziv seems to indicate that monarchy at the time was the best form of government. So the Torah says have a government, which is a monarchy. But the Torah didn't command us to have a king. The Torah commanded to have the best form of government. If nowadays the best form of government would be a democracy, maybe we should do that. So I'm not sure if in the future we're actually looking for, maybe a Bezat Hashem HaMashiach will come, it will be a Melech Mibet David, but I'm not sure if he's going to be running the show as it was the time of David HaMelech, maybe more ceremonial post, I don't know. So I'm not really sure as far as the government, uh, the, the future government, are we looking at a monarchy? But more to your point regarding what type of society, what type of law system we're going to have, Right now, as we, I think we can agree, right now we're not ready for Midinat Halacha, as we, I think we can agree upon that at this, uh, from everything we've spoken until now. We're not ready for that. And 100, 200 years from now, I think there will be. And I'll tell you why. Because I don't think there'll be many Chilonim here. That's the truth. Because down the line, you're going to stay in the country if you're attached to the country, if you believe in the country, if it's quiet, there's no terror. It's a good parnosa. The economy is great. And Baruch Hashem, generally speaking, uh, we're doing well. This, I'm not a big economist, but I understand the Israeli economy is doing quite well overall within Western standards. Uh, I was just talking to my students today, and I read an article. There Just this year in America, there have been over 600 mass shootings in one year. I think America is a dangerous country. <laughs> I think Israel is safer. But down the line, who's going to stay here? People will stay if they're connected to the land. If people are going to say, I'll stay here, but I won't serve in Yudav Hashem under the army because I don't feel that connection. If people are going to say, well, I'm not going to stay here because I can't have my basar lavan whenever I want, 
then they're going to get up and leave. And the country is moving much more religiously right. Even amongst... I'm not saying there won't be anybody... And I'm not saying in 100 years everybody's going to have a kippah. But at least it'll be Masoratim. Masoratim. People who may not make... Uh, uh, you know, but people who appreciate Jewish uh, culture and Jewish law, they'll make Kiddush, etc. I think those are the type of people who be here. And when those type of be here, those are the people that be in this country, religious and Masorati... Down the line, I think it will be Midalacha because there's no nothing, no reason not to. Interesting. All right, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you my sense if you want, although it's a little bit different from yours, maybe quite different. But um, I think I think one of the things I think about is sort of uh, not so much, not so much like survival of the fittest in a sense, which I kind of that's how I'm taking what you're saying. Like you know the the religious community will uh, will last longer, and therefore that will end up with a country that's run sort of according to those standards, I think, you know, in my most optimistic sense, so we'd be able to show the entire Jewish people the beauty of Torah. I'm not saying the word halacha on purpose here, that's beauty of Torah. And I'm curious if, uh, again, I'm talking long down the road, there aren't some natural adjustments to the halachic system, but I mean, when I say natural, either I mean grassroots sort of over the course of a long period of time, things sort of shift on some level, or you want to be really messianic and talk about, you know, the, uh, the rebuilding, you know, the reconstitution of the Sanhedrin with some actual legislative uh, changes that would maybe make, that would maybe make the Torah system more palatable to the broader group. I don't think that contradicts what I'm saying at all. Yeah. I don't think when I when I suggested that maybe in 100 200 years your long-term vision that I said would mean I don't think it's because there's going to be a coercive it just the reality will be if most people here are religious then people won't have any any opposition and that's what's naturally going to happen. But I absolutely do think that this is going to happen within western values as well because at the end of the day we are living in a modern world. Uh, I don't for instance the status of women. I don't know what the status of women is going to be. But people like Rav Amlon Bazak have written that there's no reason why not to have a woman rabbinic leader in a community. I don't think at the time when he wrote that, about a, two, two years ago, three years ago, I think he meant, I think he wrote uh, alongside a male rabbi. I don't know if he would suggest a female rabbi uh, take his place, but there's more and more place for women to be involved. So certainly uh, within parameters of halacha, halacha, like you know, everybody changes halacha, does, but it changes very slowly very, very slowly within certain lines, etc. When I said I envision a Bimidalacha as a de facto, because that's what's gonna happen, I certainly do expect it to have to change as well. I don't don't think the uh I don't expect the um Haredi vision of the uh, halachic world to be the most dominant. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that that um you know the needs of the state I think would will require the let's say this way, maybe I don't want to sound too apikorsish, but the, the, the way we implement mitzvot and halachic observers on the state level doesn't seem to me to be the same the way that we can implement on a individual level necessarily. Meaning that, let's say, for example, the Haredi vision of, let's imagine, I don't know if this is actually true, but what I imagine they would say is that, you know, the halacha should be, you know, enforced. So it's, yeah, you said, like you said before, someone doesn't go to Minyan and I'm putting on tefillin, there's an enforcement you have to put on tefillin. But that's tefillin on an individual level, right? But, you know, but thinking about, let's say, Shemitah is an interesting maybe example. You know, so what does Shemitah mean? 
you know, so each of us has to sort of figure out like, oh, we're doing Otsar Haaris. Do we do this, you know, this thing, that thing? How do we work it out? But what's the what's a national vision of Shemitah if everyone were observing the you know, the, the mitzvah according to the Torah? How would that be implemented? I don't think we really have a halachic approach to that. Right? We don't have we've never had that before um, in our history. We'd have to figure that out, right? And I think that's you know what would I'll give you a different example. Let's say like Shabbat. So other than saying, okay, buses shouldn't be running on Shabbat, is there something that would be meaningful from a, a, a national perspective to say this is what Shabbat observance looks like when it's, when it's really involving everybody at the same time? What does it mean for employment laws? What does it mean, you know, what does our schedule look like? I don't know, all sorts of things, I wonder. And I think that um, on one hand, those types of things seem... Um, very burdensome, like, wow, you're imposing this on everybody. On the other hand, if everyone's sort of bought in, and it's not, it's less on some, some of those things, I would say, less about what you're doing in your home and more about how the, the nation's functioning, I think people can buy into those things if they can understand the values, the un- underlying values that are going into it. I, again, I don't know exactly what that would mean, but I think that's sort of when I think about, you know, down the road, what do we want actually to happen? Um, I think it's very different. My point is, I think it's very different from what the current attempts are, which is to impose some of these uh, these particular observances. Of course, but again, notice the examples that you've just uh, brought. These are all areas from the public sphere. I do agree, although obviously in halacha there is an element of kofino tai regarding the individual. Of course, you're right. Maybe down the line, even in 120, 120 years, maybe we won't have that. I don't know. But the examples you just mentioned, appreciation of Shabbat, buses, etc., not running, those are examples of the public sphere. And if they met as possibly in 120 years from now, Bezrat Hashem, people will appreciate that. It won't be a machloket because it won't be coercion. It'll be people appreciating and understanding what a Jewish state looks like because they have appreciation for a Jewish state, whether they're this form or a little less form or whatever it is. But that's, I do see the, 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 the Jewish state going in that particular direction. Again, it'll take a long time to get there. To be honest, I also think the Haredim are going to end up going to the army because down the line, I don't think we'll be able to survive otherwise, and I think they're going to get they'll get us just slowly, but it's a slow thing. It's a slow thing. Yeah. I wonder also, you know, this is, uh, I don't get too far afield here, but, you know, you're, you're a proponent of, you know, proponent of uh, teaching Tanakh, you know, from uh, the new sort of uh, Eretz Yisrael uh, perspective. And I think the, the, the return to Eretz Yisrael and Medinat Yisrael has given us a new appreciation of the, the teachings of Torah and, uh, and Tanakh. And uh, I'm curious if you think anything about how that focus, which is more like on a Torah Shabbat as opposed to only on Torah Shabbat Peh, um, would impact sort of that, you know, so would impact these things as well. Meaning, I'll elaborate. What I mean is, you know, sort of the the thinking about the fundamental values that certain, you know, stories in Tanakh are meant to get across or certain mitzvot in the Torah are meant to get across without thinking necessarily about, you know, the particular ins and outs that we get from Torah Shabbat Peh. I mean, I'm not saying those are irrelevant, but I'm just saying when you think about them in a the broader sense, um, trying to achieve some of those goals um, in the Medina, which is, I think, very exciting, does that change the nature of what it means to actually have the Jewish state and the Torah-run society that is maybe less off-putting and more appealing because it, it appeals to those fundamental values that the people who maybe right now aren't so bought into the halachic system, they really do embrace those values just in other ways. The more we study Tanakh, the more that's going to happen. The early non-religious Zionists, when they created the state, they were connected to the Tanakh. 
so much so that it's well known. You can still go to Ben Gurion's house in Tel Aviv, and right next to the bed there was a Tanakh. He had a daily, a weekly, excuse me, a Tanakh class in his home. Ben Gurion may not have seen himself as a classic, or we may not have seen we we, we may not uh, see, uh, look at Ben Gurion as a classic from Jew keeping Shabbat and Kashrut on a regular basis. But he did speak in Messianic terms based on uh, the Tanakh being an Orla Goyim. As a matter of fact, Ben Gurion today is not taught in Israeli high schools because he's seeing too much of, is, is seen as too much of a messianist in that regard. And his source of inspiration was the Tanakh. When the Jewish people did not study Tanakh for many, many years, one of the reasons they might not have studied Tanakh is because Tanakh is for a living people in its land. It deals with the issues of a people, uh, government and ethics and morals, etc. When you're a serf in medieval France, it will speak a lot less to you. When the, when the non-religious Zionists came back and their Bible was the Bible, to a certain extent also, in the world of Yeshivot, they pulled away because, oh, so that's them, and we're going to focus on Trosh Balpet to a certain extent. But however, at the end of the day, there's no other country in the world that has a major Bible quiz celebrated throughout the country. Uh, so many people studying Tanakh today, more than ever, both in religious and in the non-religious public. If I'm, if I'm, you've asked about Tanakh, but you can even speak about the fact that there have been Batei Midrash Chilonim sprouting up all over. We are definitely a renaissance of learning, uh, of Jewish learning, uh, also amongst the non-religious public. Uh, the fact that uh, maybe recently the uh, Ministry of Education, I believe, has taken a step back regarding the arts and study and, 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 uh, and Tanakh, I think, is a problem. But in general, the more the country studies Tanakh, the more the country connects the Tanakh, then yes, is exactly the point. The more that people will buy in, because they'll realize there's something bigger than themselves, and people will begin to appreciate appreciate what Jewish life has to say about so many different areas. Again, the declaration of independence, the Or Chazonam Shel Israel to inspiration. Our morals and ethics will be inspired by the prophets of Israel. The more people appreciate that, the more they're going to buy in. Well, I think that's a great way to uh, to close up our conversation. With Noam, this has been awesome just to, to talk with you about this uh, sensitive topic. It's really been a great pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, everybody.